Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison. We've just had the hottest day of the year so far at 25 degrees. Summer's here and the time is right for worrying about yet another wave of coronavirus. We are supposedly three weeks off from fall unlocking as planned on June the 21st, but concerns are rising about new variants and they are leading scientists to call for the date to be put back. With me to set up the week ahead, including this and other matters, is Ross Taylor of the LSE COVID blog, as well as our many podcasts. Hello, Ros. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. I had a lovely weekend in um, the Peak District, so I'm I'm fueled up now. So if we get one of those gigantic photographs on the front of the metro of people cavorting in country parks, we can kind of zoom in and probably find you if we play. I was so far away from other people. That's the great thing. There, there weren't actually many people there, surprisingly enough. So it was very easy to stay a long way away from other people, unlike on a beach. But I will point out again, as I have done before, that um, there is very little chance of catching COVID outside uh, unless you're kind of shouting in someone's face for a little while. So, you know, those pictures on a beach really, really annoy me because they are so misleading. We should be picturing people in their homes, not people in the beach. But of course, those pictures are less easy to take. So we don't see them. Yes. So let's start with that uh, incipient third wave and these rising concerns from Sage and others. What are the chances of the date going back, do you think? I mean, the Mail has number 10 sources saying it's 50-50. George Eustace, the Environment Secretary, was uh, doing the weekend media saying the government can't rule out anything. What do you think are the chances at this stage? I think the chances of a full unlocking and, you know, masks ripped off and so on are pretty much zero at this point. The question is whether they decide to push back the uh, complete unlocking for another month or so and see what happens or whether they kind of go ahead, but in a partial way. And I can see perhaps outdoor events of more than 30 people being allowed, but not indoor ones. So there's ways that they could they could still impose restrictions. And of course, that's going to make the event industry in particular and places like nightclubs, which have been closed for so long, very unhappy. But looking at public opinion and the last poll I saw, it's about 43% say we should push back the date. About 33% say we shouldn't. About 10% say that we we, we should have completely unlocked already. So it's it's very finely balanced. But I think the general public mood is towards let's hang on a bit longer and not allow these these massive indoor events yet that poll was in the observer it's for op- uh, opinion and we're going to be coming to that a little bit later on a couple of other things as well but i mean the one that struck me about that was that the 10 percent you think it should have been earlier uh mm-hmm. you know it's for, it, it, go ahead with the date or it should have been earlier adds up to 44 percent it's more or less a 50 50 split in the country it's are, are people just you know are enough people just hardened against gigantic death tolls that they're willing to accept the the thought of a third wave, even though the, the you know the second one was far higher in terms of deaths than than, than uh, the the waves of the previous year. Well, I don't think we're talking gigantic death tolls now. I don't think that's so much the problem. I think the problem is the pressure on the NHS because most people who are most likely to die of COVID have now been vaccinated. That doesn't mean that younger people won't need to be hospitalised, hence the pressure on the NHS. There's also an issue around long COVID, of course, and that's the other thing that may be holding people back. When you've got a particular mindset that says, well, I'm vaccinated, I want to be out there and other people need to decide the risk for themselves, then and and summer's here and there's a different kind of feeling, a very different vibe, I think, from the one we had in January, where it was like, oh, my God, let's just go inside. Then it's a, a different state that we're in. And I think a lot of people feel that once deaths are low and if they stay low, there is no reason not to completely reopen. But as I say, the picture is more complicated than that. 
Professor Ravi Gupta of NerveTag, which is part of SAGE, says that there are early signs the third wave has already begun. Daily infections were more than 4,000 on Friday for the first time in a couple of months. Well, what is happening with the new variants? I mean, are we, and the, the naming of which we'll come to, on to in a minute, but I mean, are we are we seeing, is this, a, is this localised issues in particular areas or are we seeing it spreading across the country? It has been localised, but it is beginning to spread across the country. Basically, what will happen is that the Kent variant, B117, is going to be replaced by what we are still calling the Indian variant, but we are not going to call for much longer, as you say. This is what happens with COVID. The successive versions, variants of the virus get more efficient and effectively wipe out the previous ones. And so B117 is pretty much in decline. There's not much of it around anymore. The new one is now taking over. The question is how much more transmissible that new one is. Even if it is more transmissible, we have a big advantage with the vaccines and we have an advantage with people being outside rather than inside at this time of year as well. But nonetheless, if it does spread up to 50% faster, which is what some epidemiologists suspect, then there will be a problem. All these decisions, both about the, the, you know how, how do we handle the, the new variants and the unlocking, they're all taking place against the backdrop of Dominic Cummings' revelations about the handling of the uh, second and third lockdowns and early waves of the virus. The thing that's uh, stuck in our heads, certainly from you know our coverage of the book Failures of State by the Sunday Times Insight team uh, people, is that the, the, the delay on the first lockdown was forgivable, the second and the third absolutely weren't. And to delay again, with another wave on the way, can even Boris Johnson get away with that? Uh, how long can Boris Johnson get away with anything? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. He, at the moment, he is a living and charmed life. I think potentially, as I say, deaths are a very important metric in people's lives. And the way that they assess that the what the virus is doing. And if those stay low, it will be hard for him to resist the pressure from his own backbench MPs to open everything up. Because let's face it, there are a lot of businesses and people who cannot operate under the current rules of maximum of six inside, maximum of 30 outside. And so the pressure will be very great. There is another issue, which is foreign holidays. Now at the moment, um, France and Germany have essentially made it very, very difficult for Britons to travel there. You have to quarantine for a week or 10 days once you arrive. If the virus becomes so rampant in this country again, of course, the Indian variant that will be driving that surge, then it may be that other countries start to do that. I would imagine places like Spain and Greece will be the last to do that because their tourist industries are much more reliant on Britain than France's is, and certainly than Germany's is. But nonetheless, there will be an issue as we approach summer with people saying, oh my God, I can't go on holiday and I booked a foreign holiday. Now, you, of course, we were warned that we shouldn't book foreign holidays, but plenty of us, including I have to say myself, in the hope of being able to go abroad, have done so. And that will become salient. The other thing is schools. As we saw in the last wave, the first thing to be hit then in the Kent and kind of East London area was schools. Once the virus gets into them and starts spreading, you will have school closures again and you will have effectively, although there isn't a lockdown, you will have kids use, losing more and more education. And we've already seen them lose huge amounts of education. There's going to be a plan out this week, allegedly, explaining how the government plans to help kids catch up with the prospect of longer school days, which I'm sure they're going to love. 
But we're talking about that even as we haven't fixed this problem because all these kids are unvaccinated. So I expect an announcement this week on whether the vaccine will be improved for over 12s as it has been in uh, a lot of the EU and in the US. I would be surprised if it wasn't for that reason because of the disruption to schools. George Eustace says the decision on June 21st is going to be made in two weeks' time when ministers will know more about the effect of the the Indian strain, which is making up three quarters of new cases. This would be yet again a last minute change, which would dissatisfy everyone, even if you're, you know, whether you're a lockdown uh, enthusiast who believes we should be led by the science, or whether you're Ian Duncan Smith who says we should stop being bullied by the science, nobody's going to be happy with yet another last minute change like Christmas, are they? No, no, they're not. They're going to be very unhappy. But as I say, I don't think it will be, I think it will be subtle. I think things like outdoor festivals, for example, they will be encouraged to go ahead. Mm. I think the restrictions will be very specific and will be on indoor things like, for example, packed audiences in theatres and concerts inside and big, big events, which are potentially super spreading events. Choirs, I expect also to continue to be banned just because those present a special risk because when you're singing, you do spread COVID uh, much more effectively. Let's talk about this World Health Organization renaming of the variants after, after Greek letters. The UK variant is now Alpha, the South African is Beta, and the Indian is Delta. Is there evidence that the kind of referring to it as the Indian variants and the South African variant was creating xenophobic reaction? I wouldn't like to say that there was evidence, but I think it was definitely a bad idea because, to be honest, we don't know where these viruses started. We don't even know if the Kent variant started in Kent. We don't even know if it started in the UK. It's just where it was picked up in the testing. And as it happens, Britain does quite a lot of testing, so we're more likely to have found it. It might have been somewhere else entirely. It doesn't help this kind of country-on-country xenophobia when you have things uh, when you when you have a name like that we also saw it with a brazilian variant i think it's better to have a neutral name and of course the other alternative was the sequence of numbers which with the indian variant i can never remember i know it's yeah. b61 something and then i forget so i it, it makes sense to me i think it's a good thing yeah i just wonder if it's going to be more confusing people just go Delta, which one was that? Oh, it's the Indian variant. And just go straight back to the original nomenclature. But, you know. But then there'll be new variants. In the next two or three months, there'll be even more new ones and it'll just keep evolving. So eventually they will, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, it's, it doesn't go away. It's just going to carry on. It's highly probable that COVID evictions will begin this week. The ban on renters being evicted for their inability to pay during the pandemic ends today, June the 1st. We've been sort of stealing ourselves for the pain to come in from, uh, you know, things like the end of furlough and the, the, the end of income support and so forth. Could this be, uh, you know, the, an early taste for what may be in store for the rest of us as we have to deal with uh, the end of government support for the special circumstances? Yeah, I think the people in this situation often don't have a loud voice. I think the way the government has behaved over housing during the pandemic has been pretty atrocious. We've seen massive bungs of cash, basically, to homeowners and would-be homeowners and people who want to move to the countryside and, you know, have more space via the stamp duty waiver, which has been an incredibly bad thing. It's pushed up prices higher. It's made it even more difficult for anyone to get on the housing ladder. It's, uh, it, it was appalling policy, appalling waste of public money. 
One of the things that worries me particularly about the evictions now is that now the housing market is running so hot, landlords may use the opportunity to be able to evict people to sell their properties at you know, a higher price. Some of them in more attractive places, I think particularly in seaside towns, are taking advantage of doing this in order to evict people and then get Airbnb rentals. Because as we all know, there's a massive demand for holiday accommodation in Britain this summer. And I only expect that to grow. And it would be shameful if, you know, these these landlords did that. But I can imagine it happening. In Non-COVID politics, the Conservative poll leaders narrowed after the Cummings revelations in that poll we mentioned earlier. Uh, but Boris Johnson's personal ratings have, have, have also fallen. This is the opinion poll, opinion poll for the Observer. The Tory lead over Labour is down to 6% from 13%. It's now 42% to 36%. Johnson's approval ratings has got into negative territory. He's fallen from plus 6 to minus 6, although he's still ahead of Keir Starmer at minus 9. Should we read much into this? Or am I, I kind of clutching straws, which, you know, the... Johnson's personal approval for competence and the Tory party's ratings seem to be completely divorced. I don't think this has anything to do with the Cummings evidence, actually. I don't think it told us much that was new about Johnson. It told us it was quite harsh on Matt Hancock, who, and I noticed his personal ratings have gone down somewhat, as you would expect. But I don't think it's touched Johnson much. I think we knew all that about him. I think the reason why there's a blip is because people are getting nervous about the Indian variant and thinking, oh, right, we won't be able to open up on 21st of June, as I was expecting. Is the government letting this get out of control again? And are we vaccinating quickly enough to stop that happening? So I think that's the reason for it. The real test of public opinion is not going to be during the pandemic and while we're still vaccinating people. The real test is going to be in the autumn when normal life starts to resume Mm -hmm. and people start to take a more measured view about what their lives are like and whether their, how their personal circumstances have changed and whether they are beginning to tire of Johnson and tire of the freedoms which have just been restored to them. I mean, there was a, a, a strange paradox in it, in the polling in that uh, a majority said they distrusted Cummings personally, but they actually believed his individual accusations, for instance, Johnson calling the virus a new swine flu, or that the government was pursuing herd, herd immunity. So it's a strange situation that, you know, we, we don't trust him, but we do believe him. Again, do you think that, it, was that Cummings' last stand, do you think, or do you think this stuff will continue to bleed into this week? I can't imagine that he will say anything that can damage Johnson further at the moment. I mean, perhaps he can, but I, I, I can't imagine he's saving anything up. It's a general feeling of just mistrust, and you can't believe what they say, but you might as well believe the worst of them anyway. And I think people, a lot of people have settled into that view. And they feel they have the measure of Johnson. They know he's a liar, but they're cool with that as long as they're getting what they want out of his premiership. Mm. When that starts to change, our view of Johnson will change. Um, some other stories to look out for this week. The deadline for EU residents to re- retain UK settled status residency is June the 30th. So that means there's less than a month. Uh, we've seen an increasing tide of horror stories about EU travellers being sent to detention centres, passports confiscated. Some EU citizens in the UK have been saying their in-laws are frightened to come and visit. But there's also another deadline approaching, which is uh, for UK residents in four EU countries, France, Malta, Luxembourg and Latvia, for them to retain their residency. 
14 EU countries, including Spain, Germany, Portugal and Italy, have automatic residence systems. But the other 13 require a formal application. And for, for those four, France, Malta, Luxembourg and Latvia, the deadline to get that application is in four weeks' time. Are we going to get um, some more quality horror stories on the on the Brexit press from this? Europe being cruel to, to Brits abroad? <laughs> yeah, we, we undoubtedly will. It's very difficult to disentangle the effect of COVID from the effect of Brexit in the mm. Uh, on the borders because clearly the border situation has completely changed and there are nowhere near as many people travelling as there normally would be. If Britain cracks down on all travellers as as things start to return to normal, as much as it seems to be doing now, it will be a completely different situation. And I don't think people have, uh, from from when we were members of the EU, I don't think people have quite realised how difficult it is now becoming to cross borders and how difficult the UK is making it. And it is dangerous for the UK to do that because if we start behaving in that way and the border force starts being as unpleasant as by all accounts they seem to be, then other countries will say, well, why shouldn't we give Britons a hard time when they want to come into our countries as well. Mm. And the people, I think, are going to be quite shocked by how much travel has changed once they are able to travel abroad again in the way that they had become used to. And finally, uh, we've avoided the Johnson Simmons royal wedding, aka when your dad drops you off at Coachella, and we've avoided the new royal yacht. But we do have possibly the distraction of the year, the Pentagon report into UFOs or UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, as we must now call them. It's due today, uh, Tuesday the 1st of June. Weirdly, pressure has been building to get this report out. Uh, A former Pentagon official, Louise Elizondo, told the 60 Minutes documentary series earlier this year that the government has been studying UFOs, and even Obama admitted that there is footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain how they move or their trajectory. As a space fan, Roz, as a, you can't get enough space, can you? Uh, are you looking forward to the revelation that uh, those things in the sky are not just uh, weather balloons and um, funny-shaped clouds? Yeah, yeah, you, you slightly um, misrepresent my position. I, I'm quite interested <laughs> in aliens per se. I'm less interested in the emptiness and vacancy of space per se. Um, <laughs> but that is an oversimplification of my position. Yes. After my bunker with Alok Jar a few weeks ago, I was able to, you know, refine that and become, you know, pull myself together a bit. Um, I'm actually quite looking forward to this because it will make a pleasant change from the conspiracy theories that we've become used to over the last couple of years and the, you know, the pandemic, the uh, Bill Gates is uh, created the pandemic in order to... In, yeah, in, for mind control and order, in order to get us all injected with uh, whatever vaccine uh, he wishes to control us with. I think compared to that, UFOs now seem really quite harmless and amusing. So I'm quite looking forward to that. And also, you have to ask, if these aliens are coming, what is the worst they can do? I mean, what if they were, for example, to you know spread a deadly virus over the world? And, and, and um, I'm pretty sure we could deal with that now because to it. We've, we've been there, done that. I think after what we've been through in the last um, 14, 15 months, aliens landing on Earth would be easy to deal with. And it would certainly provide a welcome distraction from our more deep-seated problems. I don't know why they want to look at the state of things here. And if they did, they'd be sent straight to a detention centre anyway where their papers will be checked. 
And yeah, it, it, I, mean, I don't know what the border force would 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 do with aliens. It's hard. It's hard to. It's, it's hard right. to trying to imagine the reception they would get. Yeah, do they respect Because if they don't respect borders, there's no place for them in this new world. Absolutely not. And but what if they're coming here to work? That's what I want to know. Very concerned. Anyway, Ross, stop calling them UFOs. It's UAPs now. Ross, thank you for joining me early uh, on on this morning um, to set up the week for the listeners ahead. That is the end of Start Your Week for this week. Remember, listeners, there's new shows Monday to Thursday and Saturday with our companion podcast, Oh God, What Now, on Friday. If you want to support us in our valuable work, you can, of course, back us on Patreon and get the podcast early and all kinds of lovely merchandise and stuff like that. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Watch the skies. Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelna Sofronievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>